doing hope you're having <laughs> sounds weirdly cheery how you doing everybody how's it going in this uh, COVID-19 age I don't know why my voice went up but uh you know what it is I'm grateful for you tuning in welcome to Black on the Air I am Larry Wilmore and I honestly do hope you're doing well out there god I woke up today just uh really worried about this whole COVID thing but you know we march on we do what we can um Really interesting show today, talking to my old pal Don Cheadle. Uh, he has a show on Showtime called Black Monday, and we recorded the conversation actually a couple of weeks ago. We were going to play it earlier for you, but had some scheduling snafus. But uh, his second season came back on June 28th. So when you hear us talking, it was right before then. It was about to drop. But, you know, he's pushing the show, very excited about it. We got to have a conversation about a lot of things. But Don Cheadle, I mean, you talk about one of the best actors around um, for a long time too. He just always does, he's always interesting, always does solid work. So it was a good chance to catch up with Don. But I am concerned. I am concerned about COVID. I mean, it seemed like things were getting better and now I don't know what to think. You know, one thing that I do think right now that I think is clear is, and I know some of you are like, duh, Larry, we've thought this all along. But honestly, how horrible of a job President Trump is at just leading the fucking country, just taking responsibility as a leader in this for something that shouldn't be political at all. He's so divisive. I, I have never seen anything like this. It is just mind-blowing how bad he is. If he were just had a different opinion about this, but was leading at least with that different opinion... You know, but he's not, he's not leading with a different opinion. He doesn't have an opinion, except he's, he's a fucking coward is what he is. He really is, you guys. This man's a fucking coward. All he cares about is getting reelected. And all he cares about is just protecting, uh, being blamed for something. Like he doesn't want to be blamed for, for whatever bad thing is going on. He only wants to take credit for good things. And it's such, it, it's so disgusting at this point. I always felt that Trump was a an existential threat to the safety and security of the free world. I still feel that way, especially for a second term. And he has become that threat just to the well-being of fucking people, just for people staying alive. I mean, Jesus Christ, you guys. And this is the biggest dereliction of duty of the most important position in the country is the leader of the country. And this is the biggest dereliction of duty for that position that I've ever seen. And I want to use the word coward. He truly is a coward, you know, and that word's being bandied about lately. Tucker Carlson, who I can't stand, you know, Fox news. And guys, I watch these shows and people make fun of me because I watch Tucker Carlson and I watch some of those other shows, but I only watch them. So I know how arguments are being framed, you know, for me, it's important to hear how people are framing arguments. Um, so even though I watch it and I have to take a bath afterwards, I have to take that Silkwood shower afterwards, right? You know, I want to know what is the brainwashing? What's the dogma? And I feel the same way about CNN. I'm not watching CNN agreeing with it and everything. Uh, I watch a lot of that and go, oh, this is so ridiculous. Um, I watch a lot of news like that. And there's a lot of good news out there too. But uh, 
CNN is problematic for me for a whole different reasons, you know, because it's for me, it's just so performative. It's just crazy. But and I'll get back to that word a little later. But Tucker Carlson was talking about Senator Tammy Duckworth on his show. This is a woman who served in the armed forces in Iraq, lost both of of her legs in combat, serving our country, and is now a senator, of course. And he had the temerity, the audacity, the nerve to call her a coward and someone that hates the country. Now, first of all, the fact that the fact that anybody could move their lips, somebody who, by the way, never served in the armed forces, Tucker Carlson, to call this woman who lost her legs so he could have the right to say the things that he says, to call her unpatriotic, hates the country, and a coward. He called her a coward. Fuck you, you little piece of shit. Fuck you. I mean, where do you get the nerve to call that person a coward? Disagree with her, fine. I mean, he called her a moron, which is a horrible thing to say. You know, he's disagreeing with people, but he always insults them as he disagrees with them. And this is somebody on television who's supposed to be on the news station. He's not, you know, just a comedian or something who's making jokes. He's, you know, anyone he disagrees with is a moron and they're stupid. They're stupid, you know, the way he says it. But to point out this person and use the word coward, you got a lot of fucking nerve. And to excuse the real coward in the White House who is putting everyone's lives at risk now as someone who just occasionally says his words wrong is also a dereliction of duty for any kind of person posing as a journalist. And Trump is not only a coward. I feel he's a traitor. I feel that he is actually working against the interests of the United States and he's doing it on purpose. He, I feel he has abdicated his primary responsibility, which is to serve the American people. He's kind of siloed himself into his own confederacy, if you will. He has succeeded to secede, (laughs) you know. Trump is his own confederacy right now, as far as I'm concerned. He is not the leader of the United States. He is the leader of his own confederacy at this point, which truly, to borrow a title, is a confederacy of dunces, you know, which is not mine, of course. Um, So anyhow... Uh, I just had to get that off my chest. It's just so infuriating right now uh, of what's going on. <laughs> someone joked, and this was this is not my joke, but someone said America right now is like the Florida of countries to the rest of the world. That's very funny. It's funny and tragic and sad. It's so sad, you know. Guys, he has to be voted out. He has to be. We can't fumble this. He has to go. He has to go. We have to get this right. I'm going to have some news coming up in, um, pretty soon, maybe about a month or so that I'll share with you. Part of it has to do with this fight about trying to get him out of office. But um, it's very exciting news, but I'm not ready to share it yet. But when I do, um, trust me, it is in this effort to have a conversation about this with America. Um, that's enough for now. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Um in the summer right now. Guys, be safe out there. Yeah, I want to stay in this topic because I want you guys to really be safe out there. These numbers, these COVID numbers are really rising at alarming rates. Wear a mask. Don't worry about these people out there that are not wearing them and being assholes. I really think they're in the minority. 
uh, let's keep putting social pressure on people to do the right thing. And we don't have to be snitches about it or be assholes about it, you know, but do the right thing ourselves is a good way to let people know that they're doing the wrong thing if they're not, you know, if most of us are doing the right thing. All right, that's all I got for now. We got uh, Don Cheeto coming up. And first, we're going to have a little word. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Well, thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if appropriate, a doctor will prescribe a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. And you'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So go to GetRoman.com Larry to try out a three-month supply of nightly defense for just $5, you guys. And it's free to chat with a doctor and your first order is just $5. That's G-E-T-R-O-M-A-N.com slash Larry. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, man, um, I'm so excited to have uh, this person on the show. God, now that I think about it, I've known him for years now, seeing all, off and on. Always wanted to do a project together. We've tried, you know. Yes. And yeah, tried. It, it's, but it's still going to happen. Uh, Emmy Award winning, multiple award winning, by the way. And uh, Devil in a Blue Dress, by the way, is an instant classic when it came out. Go see that again. Uh, but he's been everything Hotel Rwanda. Uh, House of Lies was the last Showtime show, but Black Monday is back for its second season. They're finishing it up starting June 28th. Don Cheeto, welcome to Black on the Air. Thank you, Larry. Kind of a disjointed intro, but you know, your your resume is so big, man. You're so, everything you've done is so amazing. Well, I'm kind of a disjointed person, so I guess that <laughs> yes. is fitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm so happy to have you on because you're one of those people. You've done so many different things. And I really admire the way you've always seemed to be in control of your career, at least from the outside. You know, it looks like there's there's intelligence behind the project you've chosen and that type of thing. And mm-hmm. and it's always just really good shit, man. You're, it's not that you're just good in it. Like you choose really good projects too. just just oh, hats you. off. Yeah, yeah I, I've been very been very fortunate to work with some really talented people yeah. and you know to to be able to attract some great roles and and yeah in great pieces that you know actually say something you know right. and 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 can be lasting and and also things that are just irreverent and ridiculous you know yes, I, exactly I like even, exactly I like to keep a wide breadth of things that i that i do and that's and i think it's because i came out of you know i came out of a theater tradition i came out of cal arts and Mm-hmm. Did a lot of theater around the country and was able to, to play a lot of different kinds of roles. And I never wanted to get pigeonholed yeah. as one thing, especially when we came out. You know, my pigeonhole at that time would have just exactly. been gangsters. You know, so that's exactly right. Yeah, weren't you? You were on that CBS show, I think, when I first saw you. What was Picket Fences? Picket Fences. Yes, we, I mean, you started out of the gate in this great show. It's when uh, they were making those types of shows back then. And such an amazing cast, by the way, Picket Fences. So many great yeah, people. In great, there. great. Yeah, it was, we, we, we had a, a great time on that one. That was, yeah. that was a tricky one for me because 
you know, I was, you know, sort of 12th dude on the call sheet and sure. I, I had a lot, you know, I was the DA. So I always had like reams and reams of, of monologues and things to do. My issue is very hard to memorize that type of stuff too, right? Well, it's, it's as an actor, I think, you know, when I, I had a lot of downtime. I was in my trailer for yeah. many, yes, many yes. hours. Um, <laughs> yes. I wrote a play during that time. You know, I worked on a couple of screenplays. Wow. I had a lot of downtime, but I used it so I didn't, you know, eat a gun. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, you know, the kind of issue with, you know, I had with that role and roles like that is, and that were often mm-hmm. something that happened was, you know, you know, I was the soul of the piece. You know, I was like the heart of the yeah. piece. I was like, oh, so that means I'm going to have mm-hmm. a love interest. I'm not going to have any crazy picadillos like everybody on the show has, you know, a foot exactly. dude sleeps with mannequins. It's like, what about my character? It's like, oh, no, he's the heart of the piece. He's just like, I'm like, oh, you're the wise. Yeah. 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 So he has nothing. <laughs> nothing going on interesting or exciting exactly yeah so so that was a great it was it was cool to do that show for two or three years but then i was like i gotta get out of here i just wanted to to expand and and do more mm-hmm. things so i was thankfully able to be let out of the my third season and then i just started you know devil i did devil and blue dress right after that so i was really you know fortunate yeah. to, to be able to transition in a pretty seamless way into you know kind of doing the things i wanted to do and ironically devil in a blue dress I think in different hands could have been the pigeonholing type of role. But to me, it was more the, an actor defining role of you being so specific with the character and just jumping off that screen next to Denzel Washington. I mean, what a, what a splash. Man. Yeah, that was, um, that was a big one. Thank you. That was a really, mm-hmm. and, and working with Carl Franklin, who I had worked with yes. before I had done his yeah. AFI thesis movie. Um, yeah. He did a movie called punk. Uh-huh. Which is another good one if you can dig it up and find it. Really interesting and really heavy piece that he did. So uh-huh. I did that with them when I was really young. And so this part came up and every black actor in LA was going out. You know, every black actor all over the country right. was going out. And my agent, sure. you know, Chris Schmidt at the time was like, This is you. This is your part. You have to, this is your part. Uh-huh. I read the book and I was like, I guess so. I just don't totally see it. And she's like, no, this is you. This is you. We have to get you in. And Carl wouldn't see me because he had in his head that I was still that kid that he'd worked with, you know, whatever many years. Right. And he just couldn't see it. So this had gone on for like a couple months. They were doing this search and they couldn't find any. And and any conversation with you would not make you think of that character. (laughs) Right, Right. you know what I mean. Especially, I can imagine Don Cheadle, the theater student, and the young. Any conversation with that Don Cheadle does not make me think of that character. No, not at all. And I didn't think Mm -hmm. of it either. And he clearly didn't think of it because he wasn't calling. So we, I was at a ear, nose, and throat doctor of all things, and it was a really crowded lobby. And I was sitting in this chair Mm -hmm. near the door, and the door swings open and hit literally hits me in the legs. And I look up and it's Carl Franklin and the receptionist walks out almost at the same time. And she goes, there's too many people in here. You two go in that other room. And she points to Carl and I and we go in this other room and it's just he and I in the room. So he starts, we start talking about just catching up on stuff. What have you been up to living now? What's going on? It's been a minute. And then he goes, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, you know, I'm doing this movie, Devil in a Blue Dress, right? I said, yeah, I, I heard, I heard. (laughs) <laughs> you're all cool about it <laughs> because i really didn't think it was my part so i wasn't yeah. you know I, like i told my agent i was like carl knows me carl has my personal phone number sure. if he wants me to do it he'll call me and i'll go in there but 
Yes. He doesn't see it, so it must not be. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Beg? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the next day, she called me. She goes, I don't know what happened, but he wants to see you. And I came in and read. And then and this audition is online, too, so it's really cool to go, go watch the oh audition. Oh, my God. I got to see that. Yeah. yeah, it's really funny. And then um, I did it a couple times. He was like, wow, this is good. This is good. He goes, can I call Denzel in? I'm like, yeah, sure. Call Denzel in. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, shit. <laughs> yeah, call, call him Malcolm X. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So we come in and we read it, and we're it, it just you know we just mm-hmm. immediately sparked as soon as we we met each other. And we were doing the part. We were like, oh, this is just mm-hmm. supposed to, this this supposed to be. And as a young actor, did it did it feel like you were in a transition for yourself, or or were you just in the eye of the hurricane at the time? I just feel like for so many years and even longer than most people would consider is makes sense. But, you know, I'm in my body in my own experience for so many years. You just feel like you're just grinding. You're just hustling. Yeah. You're just trying to get every, so every, you know, after you're done with that role, you're unemployed. You know, that's it. Yeah. That was yeah. that our yeah. cycle. We work then we're unemployed and we go on unemployment then we get another right. job and work and then we're unemployed. So it yeah. just felt like it was of that cyclical nature and there wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily going to be some now some, oh, well, now you've hit it. There's some springboard. Although right. although it did get me, you know, a lot more attention. You know, I got a bigger agent. But even mm-hmm. when I got my agent based off of that, I told him, I said, hey, and this is a huge agent in L.A. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, this isn't going to just be a, a cakewalk. I want you to know that this is still going to be a grind. He's like, no, not trust me, Don. I know I'm saying, I, okay, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're a great agent, but you're not creating roles in the industry. You know, you're not right. writing scripts and green lighting movies. So I know you can get me in any room, but it doesn't mean all of these rooms that I'm in are going to be necessarily welcoming to what I'm bringing in the room and want to go. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, you know, it was a grind for, for many years yeah. after that. I'm very fortunate that I, you know, was able to gravitate toward projects and with really good directors and, you know, cast that, and stories that worked. Um, But it's always, it it was always, it's always a hustle. Yeah. I read one interview with you and it's funny because I had the same epiphany a little earlier uh, where you advise young actors to write, you know, and you said, uh, I mean, and I think it's good advice because even if they don't think they can, you never know. I mean, I started as a stand-up comic and an actor and I realized there weren't roles for me. You know, I did Sorry. like smart political humor, that kind of stuff. I wasn't deaf comedy jam. It just wasn't me, you know. So Hollywood was only looking for that part in the comedy part. That's so right. I knew I knew I had to write something for myself. That's why I first started writing and producing. And and I think it's such great advice that you give to there are ways where you can kind of take control of your own career. It doesn't all happen at once though, but at least having that intention, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, if and if there's any actor's career you want to look at for the marathon of it, look, look at mine, you know, yeah. it's like the 35 Absolutely. year overnight sensation, you know, this is, yes. this is your progress. Um, yeah. And the writing part of it, which obviously you can create things for yourself, but mm-hmm. really even just the practice of storytelling, right? That's right. Even if you never sell anything or get anything, right. it doesn't matter. Right. You learn, you're learning so much more about how to be a better storyteller, how to, yeah and characters better, how to understand the way story is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that I always, sometimes uh, uh, to the chagrin of the people that I would be working with, yeah. <laughs> always wanted, was vocal about, you know, mm-hmm. I would, and it wasn't 
just about for me. I wasn't always just trying to make myself, you know, give me more to do. Sometimes I was like, you need to get rid of that scene for me. That scene mm-hmm. doesn't have any, that character shouldn't be in this scene. But I was always really, always really wanted to be a part of what's the whole story that we're trying to tell. What's right. the bigger story? How do I fit into that story? How do I fit into this arc of the story? How does it all, you know, culminate into be the bigger thing that we're trying to do? And, you know, a lot of that comes from the script analysis that I, you know, had when I was in school and mm-hmm. and us working on really dense text sometime and, yeah. and really complicated text, you know? And that, that was the blessing that school, you know, gave me, that we got to work mm-hmm. on Foubard and August Wilson and Shakespeare sure. and Moliere and and mm-hmm. everything. And we really got to learn how to, you know, tear apart a script. Yeah, I encourage, uh, I went through the same thing. I mean, working on Shaw or Ibsen, you know, <laughs> you know, in Shakespeare, you know, then when you're coming to a sitcom, you know, <laughs> you're talking about story, you have the background that you have. I remember my head exploding, having conversations when I was on the, doing the Bernie Mac show. And I had looked at French New Wave films and had deconstructed just a different type of storytelling. And they're giving me notes based on sitcom tropes. And it was just, I'm like, motherfuckers, no, this is not what I'm yeah. doing. You know, this is how this works. <laughs> we can do better than this. Exactly. You know, um, education, I believe really is important. You know, I try to encourage also people because you know what it is. Here's what education gives you. It gives you the ability to really find your voice and to have mm. the structure within to get that voice across to others. You know, you have mm. a you have the ability to now put that in front of somebody in a way that you feel confident about, you know, but it gives you both of those abilities, you know. 100%. It helps you find yourself and it shows you too. So many times we go out there and we're trying to invent the wheel, reinvent the wheel. And it's like, people have already done this. You just have to find your particular way to get in there and do it. What's the thing that differentiates you in this space? Because you are the unique thing in this space, but there's, you know, there's roadmaps on how to do this. And yeah. the more facile you are with that, you know, that language and that ability to communicate that, I think you're a better partner in a project. And that's what, yeah. that's what hopefully you can be is you want to come to these things and, and be the best partner you can be to make this thing be the best. It's like, I don't ever want to be like the best thing in a terrible thing. I want the, <laughs> I want the whole, the love of the whole thing. With it. Right. You know, can we do the whole thing better? Yeah. I mean, I tell people like Seinfeld wasn't the funniest thing in the show, but, you know, he had the humility of not needing to be that, you know, and which is one of the reasons why his show, I think, was brilliant, too. You know, he he, 100%. he he was happy being that orb that everybody circled around that was funnier, you know, but that's yeah. what made the show special. You know, um, yeah. what was the first project that you became a producer on or, or that you produced? Do you remember? Or? God. I actually don't. Um, Do you remember the first it, significant one? Uh, probably Crash was the first one. I, I, I was a producer on um, Trader. Talk to me. Uh, Crash was probably the most uh, heavy lifting from beginning, you know, from the very beginning, from cast to script to, right. to, to developing, to selling it, to you know, doing the rollout of it and the, the marketing campaign and all of that mm-hmm. stuff souped in. That was probably the one that I was the most involved from the beginning to the end at that point. And then, right. you know, I'd gone on to other things like The Guard and, mm-hmm. and all, 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 all the different projects, obviously my own movie that I, that I produced. But uh, yeah, that was something that became 
important to me in the same way that writing was because I wanted to have a say in the development of these pieces that I really loved and wanted to mm-hmm. make sure they were shaped in the right way and that we put the right pieces together in the right seats to give us the best shot at having a, a really good product at the end of the day. Controlling the narrative is what I like to say. Who's who's in charge of telling us that story is as important as putting the story out there itself, right? Absolutely. Are you going to be able to execute this thing that you looked at and went, oh, this is great. It's like, okay, well, we've seen a lot of great things on paper turned into dog shit because they weren't taken care of, right? Yeah, exactly. Not handled in the right hands. Let's talk about Black Monday. So Black Monday uh, comes back uh, June 20th. I guess the season was a little disturbed because of COVID. Yeah. Um, second season let me just say this is a crazy show i know a lot of people uh, you know in who are on camera and behind the camera david casper i've known from happy what an amazing team you have together but this show is crazy and it's crazy as hell it really is almost like a live action cartoon in some ways you know, yeah. which I give you guys a lot of credit for. The writing is so dense in it. Like yeah. you you are never safe from a deconstruction of a line or an observation of the past line or foreshadowing yeah. of something. Or, yes, yeah. or a callback. It's super heavy handed in that in that way. And I think in an amazing way. And I think something happened very early in the process uh-huh. when we were trying to, you know, we would have these scripts that would come in at like 28 pages and you know, in a half hour, what, you know, 35 page script. You're like, this is impossible. We yeah, cannot never be able to cut that. Thing. You can't shoot that. Yeah. yeah. So we would have, we were always heavy. And because it was, like you said, it was so dense and just machine gun joke, 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 yeah. joke, you know, a real actual sitcom on yeah. cable, which it, you rarely like- see. It's like the 30s screwball comedies had that kind of pace where it's right. just rat-a-tat-tat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat. Super fast, always language, always puns, always yeah. plays on play words, always like digging back, which is great with the, that we have the ability with this you know, yes. period piece to yeah. go back and reflect on the thing. within your period piece, yes. That's right, right. And, and, yes. and now backs, like flash forwards into now, like they're pre-shoots, yes. but they no way they're talking about right. stuff that's happening now, you know. And we we always like to talk about it in terms of, you know, look at how far we haven't come. You know, that's yeah. so so that that the show's great and David and Jordan are great and they're joke yeah. horde and, and Oh absolutely in the best sense, yeah. Yeah. So they're always like best answer wins. Like if you can beat it, we we'd love please beat that joke. You know, do better than <laughs> right. You. right. We can't wait. So no, the, they're always like, very curvy, yeah. And the show is kind of, it's an interesting premise. You know, let's talk about the the premise of Black Monday. So it's kind of a reimagining, I guess, of the of financial crash in 1987 from kind yeah. of a, a black company perspective, maybe. Yeah, is that the best yeah, way to describe the show? Yeah, yeah like a yeah. what if. You know, what yeah. if it was possible in this extremely, you know, white and homogenous boys club yes. to have yeah. a, a shop on the street that looked like this? With the right. you know the black head and then his number one being a black woman and you know yeah. you have a Muslim dude in there and you've got a Hispanic person in there. It's like what is what? Who are these people? How are <laughs> right, they even? I, alive? I know. I'm looking. I remember looking at it, just shaking my head, going, "Nope, they weren't there. Nope, they weren't yeah, there. <laughs> they weren't there. These guys there. But oh shit, if they were, what would right. it look like? So it's kind of like a fantasy of that period, or is it is it based on something? 
I mean, it's, it's, there, I don't think there is a house that looked like that. Um, right. There okay. were, you know, there, there was always the token, you know, black guy in there. There were rarely women in there and women of color exactly. was just an to what uh, was going down. Not even possible. Yeah. Yeah, not impossible. But I did, but, you know, there are some people that I talked to and researched and met with that were, there was mm-hmm. this guy I met who was kind of like Mo, who was insane. And I was talking to his daughter about him, who, when I met her, thought that we had based the show on him, which we hadn't. She goes, this is like my dad. This is what we kind of dealt with. I was like, for real? She goes, yeah. Like, we used to find little straws at the house all the time. And we would like, like Lincoln Logs, we would make these structures with these little straws. We didn't know Mm -hmm. at the time all these little straws were. (laughs) So it was like, they were going hard in the paint, for real, forever. And David's dad was a trader. So oh, we okay. got a lot of stuff from David and mm-hmm. he, would, he, he loves telling this story. He goes, so, you know, my dad would always tell me these stories that would happen. Like as I was walking out of the door, 12 prostitutes came in or, you know, as I was on my way to lunch, they were delivering this cocaine. He goes, I would like to believe that all of these stories were actually going down that way that my dad just somehow was always leaving as, yeah. as all the debauchery was coming in. He's like, I really want to believe that's how it all went down, that my dad was only ever cursorily, you know, a, a witness to this stuff. But yeah, a lot of this stuff that we're reading, and, and you see the more serious takes on, on these movies, you know, right. uh, but that was the culture. So the-, the yeah, Wall the, Street kind of showed it in its time, the contemporary take on that. Yeah. That's right, that's right. And, and this take was to, and this wasn't imagined uh, initially to be multicultural in that way, but mm-hmm. once, you know, they came to me and like, you know, as you're talking about the producerial, you know, <laughs> effect. Ah, and that's I, interesting. It was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, let's put Regina in this. I mean, there's nobody there's nobody better than Regina anyway. Period. Oh, she's Regina Hall, uh, who's fantastic in this. She's so good. She's, she's another one of those actors like yourself who can play all the levels. Funny, dramatic, always and always believe no matter how big or small they play, you know. That's right. And that's mm-hmm. what we started building around, you know, myself, Paul Shear, Andrew Rannells, yeah. just the Great whole cast. cast. Yeah. And I think we all thrive in that. We all love mm-hmm. to be able to push it to as dark as we can go and to as light as we can go. And the show, because of the way it is, the frenetic sort of, you feel like when you're watching it that you just did coke, you know, it's like frenetic. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you feel dirty. <laughs> to watch yeah, like, oh, that was a wild thing. I just went through. I know. That, that's the experience of the show. And a lot of that, like I said, was stuff that we were discovering very early, baked into how we shot it, how it was edited, the mm-hmm. music, all the throwback stuff. It's really great. It's just, a, I think there's nothing like it on TV. I, really, I agree. Really like I feel like I was trying to think of, well, what is this show about? I was trying to nail it down. And I felt like maybe this show is designed to just make you feel what it was like back then, you know, and I using think, yeah, this. That's definitely a part of it. Yeah. I think it's definitely a part of it. It's a sitcom. So we're not trying to, right, you know, right, right, right. change the world. But we always want to play with, we're always playing with race, we're playing Mm -hmm. with, you know, sexual identity, we're playing with politics, we're Mm -hmm. playing with religion. And this year, you know, we're leaning into all of them even harder. And, you know, if we get a third season coming out of what we're coming out of, Mm -hmm. with the perspective of, you know, being in the 80s, with where we're coming to now, which so many things that we're realizing now, like, never were addressed, never got yeah. fixed. This is baked in, institutionalized, systematic things that we're going to be dealing with and we're dealing with for many, many years. So 
I'm excited to see what the writer's room is going to come up with. And we have like the most diverse writer's room and the most amazing people behind the camera to to do this. So I'm excited to see what can happen. Are they cooking the third season right now? I think they're, you know, Dave and Jordan are thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're always trying to leave the show at the end of each season, like you just take the puzzle and throw all the pieces up in the air and go, yeah. okay, I don't know how we get back. <laughs> That's a great way to go. Yeah. yeah, blow up the last show every time, blow it up. Yeah. We did that on The Office, you know, and I remember, because we didn't think we'd be back for, you know, after the first six, we didn't think we'd be back. And then we got five pickup for the second season, five episodes. And then while we're making those, it gives a little more. So we said, you know what? Who cares what happens? Let's just... Yeah. Let's just paint ourselves in a corner and figure out how to get out later, you know. Go crazy. Breaking bad yeah. this thing. And it's, I think yeah, it's a fun it's a fun way to tell stories, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's they had the same philosophy that you had at the end of the first season. They were like, we didn't think they'd let us do this. So Yeah, the first season was crazy. I mean, the whole out the window and the Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> and you set that up for the first, you know, your yeah. tease for the whole series is that that's very breaking bad, by the way. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's yeah. something that they really wanted to do. Again, this hybrid that I hadn't heard of and couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want to do a whodunit. We want to yeah. do like a, a mystery. mystery. Yeah, yeah. And a sitcom in a half hour. I was like, I've never heard and or seen that. And we had to, there were a lot of moving pieces that first season. We had to, they were shifting a lot of stuff around and we hadn't really figured out how to do it. We, it was always, you know, correcting on our feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what made it again. I think all of that energy really feeds into what you see because it's frenetic and it's fraught and it just feels like you're on an acid trip. Yeah. Um, has being um, like going through the whole COVID thing and the situation running, has, has that made you think differently either about this show or maybe what you want to do differently on the show or, or has it affected any of that at all for you? Or Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to sit down with David and Jordan and, kind of figure out how to smuggle this stuff in because mm-hmm. I, I don't think we want to lead with it. We don't want to do some polemic and it's not that kind of a show. I don't, right, I don't, right, think, right. you know, I, I still want to stay true to the nature of the show. And I think that's the best way to address most of these things, which is great in a comedy. And you know, from Bernie and from all these other things mm-hmm. that when you can disarm people with laughter, and they've dropped their guard. And then you're like, and take that. It's like, it's <laughs> <laughs> even deeper because you weren't prepared for it. You didn't have your dukes up, you know? Yeah. So I th- you can smuggle those things in and really find ways to subvert the comedy and then subvert the drama back, back to the comedy. That's, I think that's when the show works best is when uh, absolutely, yeah. When it can take you up there and bring you back down and take you up and, And I've never been, you know, often you get that sort of critique or that criticism with certain things like it doesn't know what it wants to be. Is it just trying to be funny or is it trying to be dark? I'm like, it's trying to be funny and dark. It's like life. Uh It's trying to be all of that. Yeah, because we know in our day to day lives, we can be back to back doing it. You know, I can think of a couple of famous funerals I've been to that were Mm. exactly. Yeah. Um, Do you think we're at a point where. Well, let's talk about the business first. Do you think we're at a point in the in showbiz where we're going to see some real change? It feels like it could happen. 
I'm a little cautious sometimes about being too hopeful about things, but you know, I'm, I'm basically a positive person, but you know, what do you define? What do you think the change, what do you, what do you think it, what do you mean? What do you look like? I I think it's more shot callers, you know, uh, black shot callers, people of color who are in positions to make important decisions. Yeah. I I think that it could be, and I think it's somewhat of a double-edged sword because when you don't have a great arm system and mm. the crucible that you have to go through, it's like, it's like what happens often when you see that, you know, there's, of course, once the, the, the big, you know, a couple years ago, Black Panther made all the money and, and mm. all of these shows, all of these black shows and insecure and your show, all these stuff started making dough. Everybody was like, cause we know Hollywood just works in the rearview mirror. They're like, give me some more of that. Their favorite it's color green. is green. I've it's always green. said that. Yep. That's it. Without so if that works, boom, let's get a bunch of that stuff going. It's like, yeah, but you can't just push anybody to the front right. who you who has right. never gone through the real process that you have to go through to when you're in that seat, be able to hold that seat. Now, there are a lot of people that have, and they've been passed over, and those people absolutely need to be pushed up. But there's other people who haven't had those opportunities to be in those, to be privy to the things that you need to be privy to, to be able Mm -hmm. to sit in that seat and hold that seat. And also, you know, we need to have the ability to fail in that position Mm -hmm. and not lose everything. Yeah, that's the toughest thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the toughest thing. So, So without sort of this farm system, without an incubator, without a place where you can really take some swings at bat and maybe not always get there and not have that be the death knell for your career. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it will be sustainable. You know, I think it's going to be up to individuals who have the, the stick to do it. You know, I have a diversity mandate on my set. My sets have to look a certain way. There have to mm-hmm. be people behind the camera and in front of the camera. There has to be a, a culture that looks like the world. So mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, I put in my own contract and I can enforce that because of, where I sit on that table. So hopefully, like you said, where, when it comes to shot callers, that the people that have been calling you, I'm sure, and calling me saying, what can we do? And how, <laughs> how do I, what do I do in this moment? It's right. like, we'll do that. You run a studio, do that. You're yeah. the head of an agency. You have, you have the ability actually to affect these levers of power and, and make decisions to put people in positions where they can grow into that and people that have been passed over, you can just put them in that spot and then don't just step back. Like, okay, I did it. It's like nothing happens without constant support, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like you do it once and you walk away and then you persuade yourself of any responsibility. It's like, no, now you have to do what you do with everybody else in that spot. <laughs> you have to support it and you have to, you know, underpin it with not just money, but with, your power with your friends, with all of that stuff. Nothing just ha- nothing happens in a vacuum in this business. Mm-hmm. You can't just stick something out there and, and say it'll work or it won't work. You have to keep pushing it and making it work. Yeah, exactly. Um, reshaping, reworking, all that stuff. And it is good for not everything has to has to work on a on a Black Panther level, you know, for it to be no, a, exactly. a, a step forward and something important and significant. You know? Yeah, almost nothing works on a Black Panther exactly. level. <laughs> exactly. But sometimes it feels like it has to in order for another thing to happen, you know. Yeah, see, we, yeah, we took a shot. It didn't work. Okay, yeah. back to the board. It's like, no, no right. a, modest, a, a double is still a double. You know, you can just get on base and that's actually good a lot of times. You just got to get yeah. a single. Yeah. Do you think... um? 
I always want to ask you this question. Do you think artists have an obligation to be activists? Because I have different opinions about that. Um, I feel like people feel they have to be these days in athletes for it's being required of them. I don't think it is, but I think it's nice if they do. I've always kind of held the same opinion. Mm-hmm. It's it's shifted somewhat, I think. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a requirement now, yeah. Well, and I don't think it's necessarily something that needs to be that that is an imposition from the outside. I think, look, when you when you have a position and you have a platform mm-hmm. uh, that isn't something that you just self anointed, you know, this mm-hmm. comes because you have people out there, millions of people out there who have responded to you in a way that people do want to interview you, people do want to put a camera in front of you, people do want to mm-hmm. hear your opinion. So I feel like, yeah, get in where you fit in, but get in, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to necessarily be the face of X, Y, or Z, and you can do things in the, in the background. And for celebrities, it's often tricky because if you blow your own horn, then you're looked at as being, you know, you're virtue signaling, or you're like clout surfing. You're trying to do something that's disingenuous when maybe what you're really trying to do is go, I'm trying to lead by example. I want Mm -hmm. people to follow along in this. And, and these are the people that you should be supporting that have been doing it for many years. Um, so I feel a personal responsibility to do it, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know that if you're not built that way, that it's something that you need to be a mouthpiece for and get out right. in front of. But yeah. I do think getting where you fit in, I do think we, we clearly see, you know, and today is just today, but we clearly see what's happening in this moment and what Mm -hmm. we need to address and the things that are important to address. Uh, And if you can't find it in yourself in this moment to figure out, (laughs) to try and do something, then you're probably, you're just probably not going to do that. And that's just probably not. And you can give yourself that excuse of like, Hey, I'm just a, but that's, I I think that's kind of weak because nobody is just a, whoever you are, Mm -hmm. you, if you really take stock in, in who you are, irrespective of your celebrity status or not, we all have opportunities in our workplace, in the school that our kids go to, in the school that you attend, in your church, in your community, somewhere to get involved and try to move things toward a more just world. And now with social media and the access that we have to every place, there's, there's, no, there's nothing blocking you from that move, you know, and you yeah. can throw in with like-minded people. You can throw in with people, like I said, who've been doing it before mm-hmm. you thought to do it. And just, you know, add your, add your light to the sum of light, to quote that, you know, line from Years of Living Dangerous. Yeah. And I feel like people confuse activism with advocacy, you know, like you don't, you don't have to be an act- activist, but anybody could be an advocate, you know, like for me, even if I'm not speaking about something I'm probably hiring somebody, you know, or, you know, promoting somebody or that type of thing. You know, I've had the platform where, of course, I do speak out. So, you know, I'm in those positions. But I think I I agree with you. You know, there are ways. I love that. You know, uh, what did you say? Fit in, get in. What did you how did you say that? Well, hey, too short, right? Get in where you fit in. That's right. Get in where you fit in. Right. (laughs) And uh, I think that's perfect. You know, uh, that people don't have to feel a pressure to be in one particular lane. But everybody can make a contribution. Well, I think people often feel like, and I understand it because it can be overwhelming, but people Absolutely. also make, they make the mistake of thinking 
that if they can't do everything, then they can't do anything. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, your, your little part in trying to solve this issue is not necessarily going to be the thing that puts it over the top, but it absolutely adds to the sum of it. And yeah. you, and, and we're very impatient, obviously, you know, humans are, our species is, and we want to mm-hmm. see, I did this now, now it's fixed, right? It's like, <laughs> no, it doesn't absolutely, it's not a one-to-one like that. You have to still do the thing you have to do and get comfortable with the fact that it may not mean that you're going to see it switch over even in your lifetime, perhaps, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's not valuable for you to be a part of the process to making something work in a better way. You just have to, you know, hopefully be able to pass it down and, and open the door for people to come in and do it. And especially when you have this position, you know, like you mm-hmm. said, we can do, we can hire people, we can promote people, we can be in, you know, influential in those spaces that we're in, mm-hmm. in a large degree, because we've got the stick. So yeah, I think when you've got the stick, you got to do it. You got to use it. Why do you think this, why do you think the George Floyd incident has become a tipping point now? It seems like a tipping point where, I mean, we've seen so many of these types of incidents where they really haven't. And cause it does feel like, I mean, I might be wrong, but it feels like there's been a global reaction to this where before it's usually been lo- more there local, been. you know? Yeah. There has been. And, and I don't think we get here without Ahmaud Aubrey, without mm. Breonna Taylor, without Amy Cooper in the park in New York. Right. It all kind of happened at once. Uh, and and uh, I also don't think we get there without COVID. We don't yeah. get there without being quarantined and people feeling completely bottled in and wanting to get out so bad. Right. I think all the confluence of all of those things together is what created this moment. Yeah. COVID, and I think interestingly enough, might have been one of the biggest factors of everybody's being able to put their attention on something because they weren't doing other things, right? 100%. You're you're locked in. You're at home just looking at this thing over and over again. You're already in this sort of perpetual stew where, you know, anxiety, you're you're fuming over things, you're upset about things, you have the inability to see your friends, your loved ones, you can't touch Mm. people. And we as humans, for the most part, are social and we want to go through these cathartic experiences together. And I think mm-hmm. this was one that we saw, not just in America, like you said, this is a yeah. worldwide response. It had to be an accretion of all of these things. It had to be mm-hmm. a preponderance of these things over and over and over until people finally were like, fuck it. And then it, 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 it came <laughs> out. And it was like, right. people like forgot that there's still a pandemic. Yeah. I was downtown, I was in Santa Monica, not the banana side of it where it went insane. But we were three blocks away on Main Street and everybody was pretty much masked and had goggles and was mm. pretty much practicing social distancing. But yeah, there were there were three or four hundred people where, where I was. Crazy. All right. I can't let you go before asking you about the election. Coming up, we're in an election year. This year? I've been I've been very cynical about this election for a long time, but I don't know. I don't know what to think at this point. There's some points where I think there's no way Trump could get reelected. And then other points are like, this shit is going down again. <laughs> I think he's the front runner. I think it's very possible that he's elected again. Now, did you hear my silence? I'm like, Fuck. yeah, man. I mean, you and I had this talk before and I, I know, think that I know, I know. Look, and I, and I think that we've seen, you know, in Kentucky, we saw in Georgia. I mean, 
the chicanery and the trickery is not over. I mean, we haven't really fixed that. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. fix gerrymandering. We, we haven't really fixed the machines. We haven't, you know, really dealt with the voting apparatus that we still have to somewhat rely on for these things to happen in a, in a way that's correct and legal. And, and if it goes to the courts, we've always seen how that goes. And he just made his 200th appointment a couple of days ago. Senate just confirmed yeah. the federal judge. So it could absolutely go either way. Um, mm-hmm. And it just depends on, you know, do they, I don't know. What, are we going to have debates? What are the debates going to look like? Where are they going to be? What's the effect of the debates going to be? Is it going to be 11 people in the audience? Is it going to be 100 people in the audience? That all has an effect on this. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that are still up in the air, I believe. We don't know if, you know, if, if they're just going to print another billion dollars and dump it into the economy and people are going to say, hey, look, the economy's back. Right. People are going to be snowed by that. You know, mm-hmm. they've been, they were snowed before. An extra $3,000 meant he's doing a great job. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I still think it's, it's up for grabs. It would appear that, um, based on the polls, that it's going to go a certain way. But Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. It's so early right now. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. You know, can we get disaffected voters out? And when they come out, I mean, I'm chuffed by the fact that Kentucky went the way it went and those voters were not, you know, dissuaded by the, by the problems. They, they hung in there and they stayed in there, but, you know, uh, attempts to get that extended were unsuccessful. So I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think that people who want to manipulate and, and game the system that never sleeps, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. indefatigable. They have tons of energy. So we have, to, <laughs> we have to match it with, with energy and we have to support groups like Woke Vote. We have to support mm-hmm. groups that are really advocating and being activists about making sure that everybody's vote counts and yeah. that we protect this process. Because as soon as we don't, you know, we know if it's if it's close. I think if it's a close, he wins. I think it has to be it has to be a landslide. I think, you know. Biden would have to win by more than 10 million. Yeah, I'm afraid of votes being suppressed just as well. I think that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I think, it's, yeah. yeah, it's all in Especially, play. All that's in play. Yeah, and COVID is a great excuse. Like, that's when Trump gets on the COVID train, you know. Like, if that comes back, he's putting the mask on. Oh, this is dangerous. Don't go outside, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he turns 360 degrees around. Yeah. You know, the vote in mailer yeah. is attacking vote in mailing. You know, right. so it's or 180 it's, degrees. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Do you think a, a vice presidential pick by Biden can make a difference? I personally don't think it makes a difference, but a lot of people I do. do. do I do. I think it does make a difference. I think that if it is someone who is exciting and mm-hmm. if it's someone who uh, because I do think there's a lot of there's still a lot of Bernie bros or I don't want to mm-hmm. use that as a sort of a pejorative. I don't mean it in that way at all. I mean, Bernie supporters who we're not excited by another establishment candidate. And I don't know if there's someone beyond, beyond Bernie that makes them excited, but I think if there's a candidate who skews younger, who skews more progressive, who feels like they're gonna pull him more to the left as he's trying to stay to the center, and we understand that. And, I, and, and obviously, I don't, I don't think he's going to announce his cabinet, but I, for one, would be like, yeah, hint at your cabinet. Because I think if, if we feel like we're going to get something that will balance his more, you know, his 30 plus years as being who he's been, 
then I do think that some voters will will be more uh, excited about coming out. But again, if they don't feel like their vote is protected, if they don't, if they feel like voter suppression is winning, I don't know. It's hard to 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 convince them that it's the thing to do. Although I keep trying to, and we will have to keep trying to, and we will have to prove to them and. Well, not just prove, but demonstrate that, yeah, we're still in, we're in the fight for everybody. Have to be. I just feel like, you know, (laughs) to depend on a vice presidential pick just points out how weak the presidential nominee is. Oh, no, we can't depend on them. But I do think that there will be an opportunity for that person to, to go out for him, to stump for him, to, to rally for him and all of that stuff. Really, it's an intangible, but. Those people that, you know, whoever is in that spot, if they can do that and be an Mm. exciting force out there and be his proxy in places, I think so. I think you could really, and a a black woman, you know, if that's what he's going to do and if he is going to do that, whether it's Demings or Harris or or whoever, I don't think he's going to go with Stacey, but I think that they could rally. I think we could see a big shift. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be that demographic, right? It has to be. Because if that's if if we're not getting the disaffected voters and we're back in the margins again, again, I think Trump wins. Mm, 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 mm. Tom, thanks so much for um, being on the show here. Just any last things that you're thinking about or you want to do next? Are you have any directing uh, things that you want to do? Are you interested in that type of thing or just more producing projects? Yeah, I mean, it's all in play right now. And Mm. and at a time like this where all we can do is develop and write. Right imaginarily cast things in our minds. That's, that's all happening. Uh, I have a, a company that I started last year with uh, Shamika Price, who comes out of Universal. Um, Radical Act, spelled R-A-D-I-C-L-E, like the mm-hmm. root that goes down, the first part of the seed that goes in the ground. We've been developing a lot of stuff and uh, cool. some things for me to be in, some things maybe to direct, all of the things to produce. But I think that what's going to happen is once you know, we're able to return to work safely or people feel like they're safe to go back to work. All of these, pro- there's going to be a hundred things that are like, I know, I everything's going to want to go first. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And do nine movies at the same time, but there, everybody's going to be jumping out of position to get up there first. So it's going to be an interesting time when we come back. I think, you know, people are going to be able to, who are in the workforce, are going to be able to work back to back to back to back for a long time. Yeah, I agree. Well, we can't wait to see uh, the rest of your season of Black Monday, June 28th, you guys. If you have not seen it, trust me, it is it. Every level of it will have you going, what? What did they just do? <laughs> what did I just see? You know, It's really, really just thoroughly. I think that's the right word. It's thoroughly entertaining is what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, you, and Don Cheeto just still at the top of his game, um, hoping to see more seasons to come. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Donna. Stay safe uh, wherever you are, and let's let's cross our fingers about this year. We'll see what's going to happen. Oh, we, we cross cross everything that you got to cross for sure. Exactly. We'll have to call Tommy and get together for one of those dinners before it all happens. Please, please. It's great to see you last time. Good to see you even virtually this time. You too. Thanks again. <laughs>